Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Good morning, and happy Palm Sunday. It is the beginning, as Brittany explained, of Holy Week and all that comes with it in the life of our church as we work our way through the heaviness of this week to get to the brightness that is the resurrection. And there's something about knowing that the brightness of the resurrection is coming and is possible that makes waiting in the heaviness more than endurable. It allows us to celebrate in this place what we're going through because we know what's coming on the other side. So between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, between the triumphal entry and the crucifixion and the resurrection, there were six trials. That doesn't seem possible in a modern-day justice system, does it? Six trials in a week's time. We just left Jesus pages ago being arrested in the garden and yet in in days he would be tried six times three times by jewish leaders and three times by roman leaders they would usher him out of the garden and they would take him first to uh, annas annas was the retired High priest, but the Jews believed that the high priest's role was for life. You didn't retire, but the Roman government wanted him replaced, and his son-in-law would become the high priest. And so Annas was the high priest sort of in the background, still deeply respected by the Jews. So the first stop is to him for approval, for condemnation. And they take Jesus to him, and he quickly agrees and sends him off to the official high priest, Caiaphas. Caiaphas' family puts him on trial and finds him more than guilty. And from there, he sends him to the high council, this group of 70 religious leaders. The gathering was a kangaroo court if there ever was one. In quick succession, they all found him guilty so that they could send him off to the Roman authorities who could execute a punishment. That was the way the day was unfolding. One, two, three, and now off to the Roman leaders. Pilate. And Pilate looks at him and sees that this man has done nothing wrong. He's innocent. But Jerusalem is in an uproar. And Pilate's number one job is to keep things calm. And if he can't keep things calm, Rome will replace him. So he's floundering, struggling, looking, what do I do with an innocent man and crowds that are demanding execution. Pilate decides he's going to defer. 
He's looking for someone he can pass it off to, and he finds him in Herod. Herod was the leader of Galilee, and Jesus was from Galilee. Ha! Perfect. And it just so happens Herod was in Jerusalem for the Passover. And so he sends Jesus to be tried before Herod. Herod's more than happy to look at him. It turns out Herod has heard of Jesus, and he's heard that he does miracles, and he's curious. I wonder if he'll do a miracle for me. But Jesus doesn't play that game. In fact, Jesus won't do anything. So Herod, in frustration, gives up and sends him back for one last trial to Pilate. Now Pilate has a problem on his hands. He's got an innocent man and a worked-up crowd. The city is in a frenzy, and if Rome hears about it and he can't solve it, his role is done. So he looks for a compromise, and he has Jesus beaten to within an inch of his life. Certainly that will... I, I mean, the man hasn't done anything, but beat him badly. That should solve it. But it doesn't. The compromise doesn't work. They're out for more than just a little blood. They want his life. Pilate has another idea. Every year we release one criminal this is crazy, an innocent man. Why would they do this? I'll show them how outrageous this is by making them decide between an innocent man in Jesus and a known dangerous criminal, criminal in Barabbas. And when he gives them the choice, they shout for all of history to hear, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Pilate's done. He's out of options. And it would be better to sacrifice the life of one man than to see the city devolve into chaos and him to lose his job. And so, he condemns Jesus to be executed. That's the story we're all so familiar with. Wednesday, we'll, as we do each year, read the story of crucifixion. But I want to take you back to the gallery of those trials today, to two moments and two men. At their absolute worst, you know their names, Peter and Judas. And when we meet them here, we meet them at their lowest. You'll remember this. In Matthew chapter 26, Peter is talking with Jesus, and Peter declares when Jesus said, you're all going to desert me, he, he says, even if everyone else deserts you, I'll never desert you. In verse 34, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this, this very night, Tonight, before the 
Rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. No, no, Peter insisted. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. Of course, a handful of verses later, it tells us what happened. A little later, some of the other bystanders, this is at the trial with Caiaphas. Jesus is being questioned, and Peter is leaning in and watching from the outside. And some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, You must be one of them, the disciples. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man, and this, this, this load of foul language comes from his mouth, and immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even knew me. And he went away, weeping bitterly. If you don't know the rest of the story, let me happily tell you that Peter's darkest moment was met with incredible grace. In the moment of the resurrection, Jesus calls him back by name, tell Peter to meet me, tell Peter to meet me. And it would be just two months later, just two months, when it was Peter who was selected to stand up on the day that we call the day of Pentecost and preach one of the most impactful sermons in all of history. It's an incredible turnaround. But there's two moments. The other one comes in the next chapter. We're all at least passingly familiar with Judas, who had betrayed him. Here's what it says in chapter 27 in verse 3. It says, When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and elders. This was the high council, the third Jewish tribe. Verse 4 says, he said, I, I, I've sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. But just a moment later in verse 5, it tells us that Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and he went out and he hanged himself. Three Jewish trials, three Roman trials. Three Jewish trials found him guilty, three Roman trials found him innocent. And yet here are two men who had both been the closest followers of Jesus, finding themselves in their very worst 
moments. One of them finds redemption, restoration. And the other ends in death. So what's the difference? What's the, what's the difference in the sorrow? What's the difference in the story? How can two men start off and have such low moments of betraying the one that they should have loved and one ends up in restoration and the other ends up hanging himself? How does this happen? That's what I want to wrestle with for a moment this morning because it speaks to what happens in us, in the place of our deepest failure. You see, if you, if you want to understand what's happening here and how one can lead to, to new life and another can lead to, to death and destruction, then the question you have to ask is the question of, of sorrow, of grief. The question is, where is it going? Where is this sorrow going? Where is the, 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 the grief that I'm experiencing over all that I've done? Where is this sorrow going? And for that, there's an important verse, and I want to read it to you. It comes in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10, and it tells us something that, 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 that puts this together. Here's what it says. It says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Let me read that again. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and it leaves no regret. Repentance and regret repentance and regret. But worldly sorrow, worldly sorrow brings death. You see, sorrow is going somewhere. When, when, when your life is, is kind of racked up in sorrow over what you've done and, and the path you've walked down, that sorrow is going somewhere. It has an end, and that end is either life or it's destruction. And you have to ask yourself, where is this sorrow going? Because it's going somewhere. And sorrow always goes to one of two places. It, e it either goes to repentance or it goes to regret. And I'm not sure there's another option. I think there's a, there, there's a spectrum between that. And I think sometimes there's, there's repentance and it's mingled with regret. And there's regret and it's mingled with repentance. But, but, but these are two different things. And repentance leads to to life. And that's what this verse is, is telling us, that this, this godly sorrow, this sorrow that leads to repentance, and repentance isn't just being sorry. Repentance is turning. It's, it's something, it's a switch that's turned, and it turned in Peter. This, this sorrow that, that resulted in tears was grief, and it, and it turned something in him, and he, he turned in direction, and he turned back to God. And, but, but not all sorrow ends in repentance. Some sorrow just ends in, in grief. And Listen, repentance and regret are different things. I know they sort of sound the same, but they're, they're not. They're, they're different things. Repentance and regret. Repentance is, 
is hopeful. It doesn't sound it like when we, when we say, I repent of that, or they repented, or we need to repent. It sounds like a, a spiritually loaded word, but, but repentance literally means turning, and, and people turn all the time. They, they decide, I don't want to live in this direction. That's why repentance is, is hopeful, right? Because, because what repentance does is it owns our behavior. It, 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 it says, that's me. I did it. And then in the Christian understanding of repentance, something, something happens with that sorrow. It, we, we own the behavior. We confess it. And we find forgiveness. That's why it's hopeful. Right? We, in, that, in that place of deep, deep sorrow, we, we go back to him. And we own the behavior. And in confession, we find forgiveness. And it enables us to repent, which just means to turn, to turn in a new way. We find a new... This is why repentance is so hopeful, right? It, it, doesn't, it, it still feels like sorrow at the beginning, but it's a new life and it's a new way and it's a new opportunity. We've found, we've, we've owned the behavior, we've confessed it and we've found forgiveness and we've found a new lease, a new beginning, a new, a new start. And that's why it's hopeful. But sorrow that leads to regret, regrets, regret is hopeless. Regret is, regret is sorrow without anywhere to go. It, doesn't, it can't own it. It can't find forgiveness for it. It, just, it ends in self-hate. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Sorrow that leads to regret, that, that ends up in a cycle of self-hate and, and anger and destruction and death. You see how it's working? It's, you see, regret is sorrow that's stuck. It's just sorry. It's just stuck. It's got nowhere to go. And, and, and the last thing in the world we want to be is stuck. We're, we're, we're terrified of being like, like stuck and wrapped up and we got nowhere to go. And when we got nowhere to go, all that, all that sorrow is turned into regret and it turns into self-hate and anger and frustration and it's destructive and it rips us apart from the inside out. Because we're stuck. And the last thing we want to do is be stuck. We were, Tammy and I did this road trip last, uh, last summer uh, through the American Southwest, and we started looking up all the places you could go and all things you can see. And I mean, there's just so many things to see. You can't keep, can't keep traveling. But one, everybody takes pictures of this place called Antelope Canyon. If you've ever seen, you might not know the name of it, but it's these like ribbon walls. It's incredible. And we saw all the pictures, and our daughter had taken pictures, and we wanted our own pictures that we could post on Instagram, and everybody could say how awesome they were. And so you look it up, and it's like $130 per person to go through. It's like, that's an expensive canyon, right? It's not like they drive you through. It's like, so I started, I started looking around because it turns out these are slot canyons. They're these little, little narrow canyons. This one's probably, you know, I don't know, 10, 5 to 10 feet wide. And so I started looking, in it, and I found there's slot canyons all over. And I was reading up on some bloggers and travelers, and, and I found one. And they said, hey, if you're willing to hike two miles through the desert, I should have just confessed I was out at that point. 
But I was curious. Like, I'm like, oh, it's free because it's two miles and nobody's going there. And, and then they, and they, they describe how you find it. And I was like, I would totally get lost, but I was intrigued because it's free and it's an adventure. And I'm reading up and, and, it, and it talks about how you enter the canyon. There's a, there's a little stream that kind of you walk in the stream and you walk in and it says, and it gets narrower and narrower. And I could feel myself getting claustrophobic. And it says it gets down to about 12 inches. And I'm like... I'm doing the math. And folks, if you have to do the math, <laughs> right? I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. And I was out because I could feel it. I could, I, could, I could like feel it crowding in on me. And I thought the last thing in the world I want to be is someone they make a movie about who cuts off their arm with a pocket knife to get out. Because that's what we do when we're stuck. We cut off our arm, right? We like... Are you tracking with me? I'm not talking about canyons anymore. I'm talking about being stuck. I'm talking about regret that we can't do anything with. We, it's, just, it's just sorrow that seeped into our life and it's got nowhere to go and it's turned into regret, which turns into self-hate and anger and destruction and death because it's sorrow with nowhere to go and that's regret and it's deadly. But repentance is beautiful. And it's hopeful. It's, it's sorrow. It's found a way out. It's found the grace of forgiveness and the opportunity to turn. And Peter found it. I hear people say, I have no regrets. I've often said, the only way you can have no regrets is to be perfect, and I'm guessing that's not you because it's not me either. It turns out the only way to live without regrets is to live with repentance. The only way to live without regret, without that self-destructive, self-hating anger, is to live with repentance that owns it and confesses it and finds forgiveness because when it does it opens up into a beautiful place of freedom to turn and to change and to be new that's what this story is about one found it the other didn't but I left out a piece of the verse, and if you were following along in your Bible, you may have noticed that I didn't read all of verse 4. I wanted to come back to it because it, it adds one last detail that I think is good for us to rest in. Let me read to you the whole of Matthew 27, starting in verse 3 down through verse 5. It says, when Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse, sorrow. It, Judas never in his wildest dreams, it seems, imagined that, that this would end in Jesus' death. And so he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. And what does he say? I've sinned. Of sinned, he declared. 
for I have betrayed an innocent man. And the high council responds with this. What do we care? That's your problem. Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple. And he went out and hanged himself. What do we care? That's your problem. Really. Your problem? Or our problem? Judas was was wrapped up in his grief and we don't understand everything that was happening and it's there, there's a theological story behind this but on this day in this place he came to the temple the place where God was supposed to meet with man and God's representative was supposed to help people find life and he came looking for a way out and they said that's your problem that's your problem And he was stuck. He was stuck. Oh, this doesn't excuse him. His his decision, his choice, his betrayal is all his. But he wasn't alone this day in his guilt. The very people that were supposed to help people find life with God weren't doing their job. In fact, in fact, they had falsely accused Jesus. Their, their charge against Jesus was that he said he would tear down the temple. He hadn't said that, but they accused him of it. And here they were, tearing down the temple from the inside out. And this is why Jesus was about to replace it with a brand new system a brand new way through himself. But there's a lesson right here in these men who said, that's your problem. The church is supposed to be a place where people can come and find life where they can just come in all of their brokenness and sorrow to say I'm looking for a way out and if the message of the church sounds hopeless or judgmental we're doing it wrong You say, Pastor Ben, you're the preacher. (laughs) I know I'm preaching to the choir. It's the heartbeat of our church. But every once in a while, we should step back and just be reminded of of what it is that we're doing. We're, We're the people that when someone walks in, when they walk in on Easter Sunday, that we're we're proclaiming a message of hopefulness, and that when we when we talk about repentance, repentance sounds like hopefulness. You, you see, does repentance sound like like hopefulness? I think it, it does. I, I don't want to. I don't want to make. Listen, 
uh, repentance. If you've ever had a conversation with someone about repentance, you know that repentance conversations are hard conversations. If you've ever had to sit with somebody and say, no, no, no. Don't do this. Don't do this. You know those are some of the hardest conversations of all. Maybe you've had to have it. Or maybe someone's had it with you. They're hard. But they're not impossibly hard. And here's why. True conversations about repentance are always, always, always hopeful. They always carry with them the beauty of what happens when we turn to Him. They always offer the ointment of grace on our life that heals and sets us off to a new life. I'm not saying they're easy. I'm saying they're beautiful because they offer something regret can't offer. I took one of our cars into the mechanic the other day. It's a mechanic we've gone to for years. I know him through the church and this is one of those cars that has a few miles on it, like 200 and something thousand. The cars are expensive and it's running pretty good. And, but there was a sound coming from the back and I thought it, needs, it probably needs some brakes. So I took it in and I dropped it off and I said, I think it needs brakes. That was my expert diagnosis. <laughs> couple hours later, I get, a, I get a phone call. Pastor Ben, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> you know what I mean by dot, 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 right? Like, you know when you text somebody and it goes dot, 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 it's like, ah. But he was calling me and it just sounded like, that's called an ellipsis. It just sounded like an ellipsis. And Pastor Ben, dot, dot, dot. He said, it's not good. I'm like, ah. You need back brakes, front brakes. You need everything. <laughs> but the conversation wasn't exactly what I wanted to hear. But honestly, in the end, it was hopeful. It was, hey, this is what's broken. And we can fix it. It costs more than you thought it would cost. It was worse than you thought it was. But there's hope. Do you, do you see what I'm saying about the beauty of repentance? Sorrow that weighs us down but brings us to him. In that moment of ownership and confession and forgiveness that sets us free to turn. And in the turning, there's something beautiful. I don't know how this message catches you this morning, 
what you walked in carrying. I know it's heavy, but it's hopeful. Are you looking at your life and you just find something that you just... It's just... It's heavy and it's broken and you just want it to go away. You're at the crossroads with sorrow between repentance and regret. Don't miss that place. Don't miss it. It's beautiful. In a moment, we're going to bow our heads. We're going to close that. That's your moment. Just like give it to him. Just own it. Confess it. and Let him forgive it. And when he does, he gives you a new way, a new way to live, a new life. That's the turn, repentance, turning. He gives it to you. Maybe you're here and this whole thing of Jesus, you're like, I don't even know what to do with, with the story of, of Jesus. And, and maybe you haven't yet said yes to him. You haven't, you haven't embraced him as your savior. You've been kind of standing on the periphery just, just watching in because there's stuff you couldn't let go of. You couldn't let go of. You couldn't let go of. But he's saying, listen, let go of it. Let go of it. Just give it to me. Confess it. Own it. I'll forgive it all. Once and for all. And you say yes to him. Yes to his gift. In that moment, it changes you. It changes you forever. And if you haven't done that, oh my goodness, you don't need to wait a minute longer. Not a minute longer to say yes to Jesus Christ. Would you bow with me? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I say that each week just because our lives are so distracted. People around us, things to come, things in the past. But this moment, this moment is yours. Maybe you already know what you need to pray. What you need to give. Repentance or regret. It's the only two options for our deepest failures our deepest sorrows. This is your moment. I just leave it to you, wherever you're seated, just to take it to him. Own it. Confession. And the joy of the grace of forgiveness overwhelms us. Maybe you need to say, Yes, to Jesus Christ as a Savior once and for all. Revelation says, Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. If anyone will answer, I will come into them. Maybe this is your moment just to say yes to him, to open the door of your life and welcome him in once and for all, accepting his gift of forgiveness.
If it is, let me lead you in a prayer. You don't have to copy my words. It's, it's your heart that he's listening to, a heart that says yes to his grace, to his forgiveness. You might pray something like this, dear God, here this morning, right now, I say yes to you. I confess. I ask for forgiveness for it all. I accept your incredible gift of grace once and for all. Jesus Christ, I invite you into my life. I want to live my life fully for you. Father, I have one prayer for those who are struggling under the weight of regret has turned self-hate and anger and frustration. My prayer for them, Father, is that they would see you, they would find you, and they would find the hopefulness of, of grace forgiveness freely offered freely offered and that you would give them a new way a new way to live Father we won't pretend this is the work of of a church or of a pastor Father, this is your work, the work of your spirit. And you pursue us, Father. You come after us because you love us. Don't let us go. Don't let us go. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this message from our current series. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to meet you in person. We have services every Sunday at 10 a.m. in East Falmouth, Massachusetts, or join us for our Sunday live stream on YouTube at the same time. If you enjoyed the Cape Cod Church podcast, we hope you'll consider leaving us a review so that other people can discover us too. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll see you on the next episode.